We have a special guest with us this morning. Um, it's been a friend of mine actually for quite a while, a number of years. Um, Wampa Martinez was, uh, has been with Church of the Rock up in the valley for over eight years previously. Um, he was the campus pastor uh, in Wasilla for a number of years. Uh, but recently, just within the last year, has taken a new uh, assignment uh, with World Vision. And um, he is here this morning uh, to talk about uh, a really amazing opportunity. Um, so I think I'm just going to leave it at that. I would like you guys to give a warm welcome to my friend Wampa Martinez as he comes up to the stage. Thank you, Aaron. Let me pray for you as we jump in. Thank you. God, I thank you uh, for your word, and I thank you for uh, the example of both Wampa's life and ministry, and for the, the strategic partnership that is birthed today. I ask that you would open our hearts to receive as he shares. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, as Aaron mentioned, my name is Juanpa Martinez. Um, I was actually born in Colombia when I migrated to the States almost three decades ago. I uh, landed in, in New York City, of all places. Uh, and I lived in the jungles of New York City for 20 years. I'm married, uh, my wife and I, um, uh, our best friends, and I have three girls. Uh, my oldest one was born in New York. My two younger ones were born in Alaska. So uh, I'd love to tell people that my daughters are the real deal, Alaskans. Um, yeah, I, I serve a church on the rock in the valley um, for eight years. Um, before Church on the Rock existed, I pastored a church in Long Island, New York, that helped found the dream of a man named Dave Pe Pepper to plant a church, a light living church in the valley. And from a distance, I've seen Church on the Rock grow, plant churches, this one, the one in Battleground, and then I had the privilege to be staff. But as Aaron mentioned, the Lord has uh, plans for all of us, and he invited us to rejoin World Vision. I work back in the early 2000s with World Vision. And so in June, we pack up our trailer camper, our camper trailer, and drove 9,000 miles to Tampa. And drove in August 1st. I tell you, I had doubts when I stepped out of the car August 1st. It was so stinking hot down there. But that's where God has us. Well, let me start by asking you a question. Um, if I had the power to grant each one of you a gift, a wish, and that power will be to meet the most influential, the richest person in the world, who will you choose? And I gave a few suggestions. Would it be a, a billionaire or a high-profile YouTuber for all you teens and, and youth? Would it be a famous political figure 
or if you had a chance, would it be uh, your favorite uh, sports person, athlete? Well, I asked that question to my family several months ago sitting around the dinner table. We make a point to have dinner um, every day if I'm in town. And my oldest daughter, she just turned 14, she said, Dad, without a doubt, I would love to meet Mr. Beast. I look at my wife, she gave me the eye. You and your spouses, you know well, when you, when you look at her and she looks at you, we have no idea who Mr. Beast is. So I had to go later that night and Google who Mr. Beast is. Well, Mr. Beast is a famous YouTuber. He makes his living out of creating videos that youth watch. And I am completely honest with you, that's one of the first times in my uh, life that I felt old. It's like I'm so disconnected from my teenager's reality. Um, I want you to think about that. If I had the power to grant you that wish to meet someone, who would it be? I want you to keep that in the back of your head and we'll come back to it later. Well, I'd love to show you a picture of myself. As I mentioned, I was born in Colombia. That boy with lots of hair on the right, my right, your left, that, that was me. That is me. Um, I grew up in Colombia back in the 80s and 90s. It was right in the midst of the whole um, uh, tough, violent season that Colombia faced. Uh, we were the country where violence, uh, drug trafficking, kidnapping, those were the highlights that people all over the world knew about Colombia. And on top of that, and even more significant, my parents experienced a very tragic separation, dramatic. Um, it was painful. I remember um, as a child seeing my parents on the same room the last time when I was 12 years old. And I recall experiencing things that no child should ever experience. I was 12 when they split it. Now, to keep that brief, I can tell you that it was a season of opposites. Uh, on one part, I was suffering the separation of my parents, the family unit. I loved them, and I thought that they loved each other, and I believe that they did, but they couldn't work it out. On the other hand, God's Spirit began to draw me closer to Him. And they were completely opposite spectrums of life, but I remember them clearly. The pain of a broken family and then the joy of knowing Jesus as my God, as my Savior. Um, now, if we think about Scripture, the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, I think that we will all agree that the Bible is really a story, a love story. It's the story of a God that never gives up pursuing his creation, humanity, that he's in the business of restoring because he loves us. And to be honest with you, this story is completely upside down to the culture that we find ourselves in. It just doesn't make sense. A lot of the things that we read here really take us by surprise because it's in many ways counter-cultural. Uh, For example, we read here in the Bible that we follow a king who washes our feet, John 13. We follow a teacher who invites us 
to love our enemies completely upside down. We follow a Lord who teaches us that we are to love those that we dislike. And we have an example in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10 with the story of the Good Samaritan. It was unexpected. It left everybody with their mouths open. In many ways, Jesus was saying, when it comes to racial and political challenges, I'm inviting you to love people that you dislike. We follow a founder who built his church on the declaration of the one disciple that he loved and he expected him to be a friend when he needed him the most, Peter. We follow a shepherd who is willing to leave 99 sheep alone and he goes after the one that is lost. See, everything we believe in about the Bible is truly um, upside down. What we believe about the God that we serve and the Jesus that we follow is upside down from the current world we find ourselves in. And when I stop to consider how God sees us, and I'm saying all of us, like all of us, the good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> we realize that he sees us all. There's nothing that we can hide. And even in the midst of all of our imperfections, he chooses us as his people. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. And yet, that is the gospel's message. That is the story that we read in this Bible from beginning to end, that God chooses imperfect people to be his people. Now, I want to ask you to do something here with all respect. Would, would you be so kind and just close your eyes for a second? I, I want you in, in the privacy of your own mind to think about the two to three top things that you don't like about yourself. The lies you hear about yourself, the, the lies that people tell you your shortcomings, your failures. Just think about them. And with your eyes still closed, I want you to picture Jesus sitting right in front of you. Whatever picture you have of Jesus, he's sitting right in front of you, face to face, and he's looking into your eyes. And I want you to hear him say this to you. I see you. I choose you. I love all of you. My child, please stop thinking about all the failures and what the world calls you. You are my beloved. I die for you. I love you. I will leave the 99 over and over again just to be with you because you are mine. You can open your eyes. Friends, when we accept that truth, when we accept that foolish love of God personally, and we allow it to sink and become our identity, our name, children of the most high God, and we allow that reality to live and play it out in everything that we do, in everything that we touch, in every interaction that we have, we discover freedom. 
Imagine none of our sins, none of our failures, our shortcomings, none of what the world calls us, but just freedom in the truth that God has chosen us. And we are his beloved. The natural response is transformation, is freedom. And in return of that foolish love that we have received, that doesn't make any sense, God then turns around and asks us to do the same for other people, to extend the same grace, the same love, the same acceptance that has been extended to us. I went to seminary to study the Bible, and I love reading the Bible. And the more I read it, the more I recognize that I know less and less. See, as I study this kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom of God, I am learning that it is consistently expressed in the same way. And that is, number one, highlighting the God that loves his creation. And then in response, he's inviting us to do the same that he has done for us. To look around the people that are suffering, the people that the Bible refers to as the least of these. And as I study, especially continue to read and learn more from the word of Jesus in the New Testament, I've noticed that the question is often asked, so how do I get into heaven? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? As a matter of fact, that question was asked from his disciples to Jesus in multiple occasions. And I love to explore just one portion of a scripture that addresses that issue. And I know some of you actually did the Matthew 25 challenge this past week. I hope that it enriched your lives and also your families. I'm going to read Matthew 25, starting in verse 34, and we're going to take it all the way to verse 40. It's on the screen. You can follow. Also, I completely forgot to welcome people that are tuning in online. Yeah. Um, feel free to follow on the screen. It says, beginning in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Now listen to the first part of verse 37. The righteous, then the righteous, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus tell us who will get into his kingdom, clearly. And not only that, 
but he tells us who won getting to his kingdom. And not only that, but he goes and tells us how. It is really upside down. There is no magical prayer. There is no magical attendance or how much we've given. He's saying, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, Jesus speaking, you did to me. See, Jesus' love is demonstrated every time we help restore broken circumstances. If you're the kind of person that takes notes, I encourage you to take these and meditate throughout the week. Every time we tap into restoring broken circumstances, we're tapping into this kingdom that is upside down. When we help provide relief in a tangible way to the horrible, horrible circumstances of those who have so little around us and also in the world. In Matthew 25, we read the homeless, the hungry, the thirsty, the hurting. However, if we are not careful and we stop simply at offering social help, we have the potential to miss the essence of the message of the gospel. See, we risk missing and a special ingredient of this kingdom that is upside down. See, Jesus calls the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the hurrying, those who have the least in this world, he calls them his brothers and his sisters. And in doing so, Jesus is affirming their God-giving inherent dignity. See, not only we are called to restore broken circumstances, but we are called to affirm the dignity of every human being, regardless of their color, language, their race, their religion. Each one of them has been made in God's image. See, inherent is something permanent. That's the definition. It's something given, permanent. You cannot take it away. And if we study the Bible, we recognize that from the beginning, God created man, and he created them in his image. That's what Moses tells us in Genesis chapter 1. You see, Jesus knows that we unconsciously tend to protect the false narrative, and it happens at a very subconscious level that says in our culture that if we have less, we are less. And if we have more, therefore, we are more. But Jesus destroys that light when he's telling his disciples who will inherit his kingdom, eternal life. He destroys it and he flips it upside down and says, no, just because people have less, it doesn't mean that they are less. They bear my image they bear my identity. So when you restore or when you help restore broken circumstances, don't you dare to not affirm their inherent dignity because they carry God's DNA. My friends, Jesus is inviting me and is inviting you to embrace these pillars of the kingdom of God, to restore broken circumstances and every time we come across somebody to affirm their God-given inherent dignity. And I'll be the first to admit that doing both is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I, I'm often tempted to think that I don't need to step up because someone else 
is supposed to. So we choose either one or the other. But when we courageously say yes to God's spirit that is calling us, and we join Jesus not only as restorers, but also as an affirmers, when we say yes to God's upside down kingdom, you know what happens? Well, not only the people that we come in contact with, not only their lives are changed, not only communities are transformed, but our lives are changed and transformed in that exchange. I'd love to tell you a little bit about how I ended up here. I always find it fascinating when I'm visiting a church with my family or there is a guest speaker and you uh, so graciously trust me to speak to you and give you this sacred time that you have gathered as community to worship Jesus. So I recognize that. So I want to share a little bit how I ended up here, all the way from Colombia, right here to Homer, Alaska. Well, at the age of 16, after my parents split it and the, that season was so chaotic, I left Colombia and landed. My first stop was at the Miami airport. I had one bag, my siblings were with me, and I had $20 in my pocket. That's it. And those $20 disappear when I uh, purchase a meal at McDonald's. It was worth it, but they were gone. My fortune was gone. And here I was in the U.S., in the United States of America, the land of freedom, of opportunity, facing a second chance. I was facing a second chance in life. That's how I felt. A chance to pursue my American dream. I could have spent so much time sharing all the different jobs that I did, but eventually I met my wife in downtown New York City. I was attending seminary and she was working on her undergrad. We get married and two weeks after our wedding, I was offered a job as a lead pastor in a small church in Long Island, New York. The name of the town is Hicksville, New York. Like, why will someone name a town Hexville? I don't know. But there I was, well on my way to reach my American dream. See, after five years working with that local congregation, I, I learned so much. Um, I landed a job at World Vision. Never applied for it. They invited me to join them. Now, World Vision wasn't new to me. Uh, as a child growing up in Colombia, I remember seeing these trucks bringing food to slums outside of the city, helping people that didn't have much. I mean, I didn't have much. My family was middle class. My father was a businessman. My mother is a fashion designer. They worked so hard, but there were people that had so little. And I remember seeing their tangible help to the poor, and it really did something in my heart as a little child. I remember thinking, how wonderful it will be one day to be able to do what these people do. In 2012, I had the incredible opportunity to take a team of pastors to the beautiful nation in Rwanda, in Africa, where I had the very unique honor of meeting one of my wife and my sponsor girls, Delphine. Now, I remember driving to a very rural place to meet Delphine and her family and see firsthand the work of World Vision on the ground. 
And there, our World Vision Rwanda liaison <laughs> made a comment that changed the course of my life. It shook me to the core. It really did. I remember it as if it was yesterday. He said this, you will most likely be the wealthiest person Delphine and her family will ever encounter. Wait, I thought of myself, I remember that cannot be true because I don't consider myself rich. I know rich people that attend my church. I know rich people that I've worked for, but I'm not rich. Well, when I first saw Delphine, and there is a picture I want to show you, she was so small and so fragile. I noticed how shy he was, she was, and her mom gave me a hug. I couldn't understand their language, but we had it translated. We chatted, and we had a meal together. And then the next day, her mom wanted me to come to her home. When we reached her home, it was a 10 by 10 single room that Delphine shared with her mom, her dad, and two siblings. There was no electricity, no access to clean water, just dirt on the floor. I remember the walls were made out of clay, and the roof was made out of tree branches that it looked like it was going to collapse at any moment. Now, Delphine's mom greeted us, and I remember thinking, where is Delphine's dad? I, I want to meet him. And about 40 minutes went by, I could sense that there was tension there. Delphine's mom was very embarrassed. Finally, he showed up. He was covered in mud, had no shoes. I remember vividly the sweat coming down from his forehead. He exchanged a few words with my translator. And then I was told that he was very sorry for not being there in time. He had just returned from burying his dad with his own hands. Let's go to the next picture. We sat down for a little bit after he told me about his dad. Somebody snapped that picture. And I remember as a good American at that point, thinking I need to say something to make this awkward situation get better. I need to fix things. So I asked him, how old was your dad? And he responded, my dad was a very old man. He was 55 years old. I remember thinking in that moment how different their life is to my life. It was there what God intersected my journey in a fresh and new way. He opened my eyes to the reality of what my American dream should look like. It was like if God was inviting me personally <laughs> to do something on behalf of the poor. And let, let me ask you a question. What do you tell someone who just buried his father with his own hands? And how do you communicate that you love and you care and you serve a God that loves them also? When you look around and realize that you are the richest, wealthiest, most influential person that 
they could ever come in contact with. So remember that question, how we started together today? Some of you maybe thought, I want to meet a billionaire or a YouTuber, a politician. But have you considered that for some people in the world, you are that person? You could be that person. You see, at that moment, God showed me a better kingdom. And over the years, because our 39 monthly dollars that we give to Delphine and her family and her community, we have seen transformation. I've witnessed to see this little shy girl that I met in 2012 become now a young lady. And over the years, because of the 30 monthly $9 that we put into a poll and hundreds of other people do the same, her community has changed. Guess what happened? I've witnessed, my wife has witnessed, my oldest daughter, she's been able to come to Africa and see it. We've seen broken circumstances restored and inherent dignity affirmed and the incredible transformation that has come out of it. Last year, this is the last picture I received from her. This is Delphine, this is little Delphine. She's no longer a little girl, she's a young lady, and I want you to look at her smile. Her smile is the smile of a girl that has hope and now the ability to pursue her dreams because now her village has access to water, therefore she doesn't have to walk three to five kilometers each way to fetch for dirty water. Instead of that, she's able to go to school. In the picture she's showing us, her school uniform, as well as we sent a special gift so that they could purchase a goat that helps them get nutrition, but also helps them sell the remaining to their neighbors and gain a little income. From such a fragile little girl, now a young lady with a bright future. My friends, today I'm going to ask you to partner with a community in the nation of Honduras. There is a region, a large region of thousands of families called Florida, just like the state of Florida. This community is made out of hardworking people. They're farmers and and most of them are very poor to the point that they struggle after they work so hard to make ends meet. They just don't have enough. COVID has made their lives even worse because there's been so much that has come to an end. This nation doesn't have a check that comes from the government to provide assistance. If they don't work, they don't get paid, they don't have money, they cannot eat. This community is full of people who need a chance. And if the chance is not given, no wonder how moms and dads decide to leave them behind and move north in looking for a better life. This week, uh, we did a Zoom call, and I have a picture of uh, 
myself, and then is Nadia. She works in Honduras. She's a World Vision staff. And then some of the uh, Church on the Rock Homer staff. And we learn about this specific community. We learn about our country. We were preparing for today, and we listen about how they exercise their Christian witness and how the funds that we are able to collect help their development as a nation. So today, I want to invite you to consider becoming a partner with this community. I want to invite you to say yes to being chosen by becoming a child sponsor. There are hundreds of kids in Honduras that need help, thousands, that are desperately waiting for somebody who can step up and help. And it's not just the $39. They're waiting to have access to one of the richest, most influential people that they could ever encounter. See, for years, World Vision has partnered with churches all across the U.S. We have now almost, I checked it yesterday, 3.9 million kids under our care worldwide. And the way that we have partnered in the past is that at the end of the service, you will walk out to a table or a foyer, and you will face a wall full of pictures of kids. And most people will probably have to start looking for good-looking kids, kids that had the same birthday as one of your children or your loved one. And then you'll choose them, and then you'll walk away with that child. But the last two and a half years, God has stirred our hearts, and senior leadership, uh, the senior leadership of World Vision felt that it was needed to invite the Spirit of God to infuse something fresh into this model. That there is an element that was missing. There was the social help, we're helping you, but we also wanted to remind these kids that they have the power to be reminded and the right to exercise their God-given inherent dignity. And we ask this question to us. What would it look like if this whole thing about sponsoring was turned upside down and the children were actually the ones able to choose you. I want to show you a video.
king will reply, I truly tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters and sisters of mine you did for me. Now this Wednesday, there is going to be a party in Florida, Honduras. And the guests of honor are going to be children that don't have very much. They're actually are going to step into a church or a room, whatever their community offers. And they're going to walk into a room and they're going to see your faces. Your faces. And for a moment, they're going to tap into that beautiful thing, recognizing that they have dignity. And they're going to make maybe the first big decision of their lives. Maybe at this point, they haven't made any decision. They're just in survival mode. And instead of continuing to wait and wait to be sponsored, they will see you and choose one of you. Now, before the pandemic, what we were doing at World Vision was we will have done this, we will have extended invitation, and anybody who voluntarily decided to be chosen would have taken a picture, and then I would have dr driven with Pastor Aaron to Anchorage, jump on a plane to deliver those pictures personally to Honduras. On Wednesday, we will have had the biggest party of their lives. And then we would have put Pastor Aaron on a plane back so that next Sunday he could bring the pictures of the children that chose you back so that you can actually enjoy and tap into the beauty of experiencing once again what it means to have dignity. Obviously, COVID has messed everything up. So while we cannot do it in person, these children still deserve to have their party, to have the opportunity to meet one of you, don't you think? So what we're doing is that we're going to extend that invitation for anybody who wants to join this movement called Chosen. We really feel that the Spirit of God has entrusted us with these, and we want to we wanna serve our community well. And I've been looking forward all week. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've been looking forward all the way since I think we started talking in May of last year when everything was upside down. But I'd love to hear from Pastor Aaron his heart around this movement of Chosen. So I've seen now a version of that video five times. It's too much. I can't handle it. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. This is actually a story about my dad and fishing. And I realize as I tell this story that this is one of the bad stories. And so I feel a little bit bad for throwing my dad under the bus. But I'm on stage with a microphone, and I just want you to know that we had 100 other great trips. When I was, I think, eight or nine years old, uh, we had some relatives visit uh, Homer, Alaska. They were from outside. And we took our uh, cousins and my uncle on a halibut fishing trip out in Kachemak Bay. Uh, I believe we were using Sam Beachy's little boat. Is that right? And uh, we were out in the bay fishing for the day. And it was partway through the day, 
and we could tell that the conditions were changing. In fact, it seemed that the fog was rolling in. But we were fishing next to what looked to be a very uh, sophisticated operation, uh, a boat that surely had navigational equipment. This, of course, being before the time of, you know, the world in your pocket. So we continued fishing. The fog rolled in very thick, very dense. And this other boat pulled up their anchor, and we began to follow them back to the harbor. It was maybe two minutes of following them that we realized that this boat was driving in circles. And this was our ticket home. And eventually, after doing several loops, we lost them. And so there we were in the fog somewhere between the spit and Hawaii. As an eight-year-old, uh, the ocean seemed like a very large place. And I remember we had a VHF radio, and I remember hearing my dad uh, talking to my mom at home and saying, we might be spending the night on this boat. This was not a boat to spend the night on. At one point, uh, through the fog, uh, we found land. We found a beach. And we began to follow the beach, and the beach disappeared. It vanished. We continued on very slowly moving through the fog, and eventually we found a rock cliff and dropped the anchor. And my dad said, it looks like we're going to be sleeping in the boat tonight. As an eight-year-old, I can remember peering into the fog <laughs> and trying to will a search boat into existence. I remember just squinting my eyes and praying my heart out. This was the most traumatic thing that had ever happened to me. We were going to be sleeping without our PJs, without our blankets, without dinner on a cold boat. Now imagine. Uh, if one of you had paddled up in a canoe and said, hey, I just have a canoe, but I know how to get home. In that situation, I probably would not have been terribly selective. If you had pulled up in any vessel, in any condition, but could offer us a way home, you would have been the answer to all of my eight-year-old prayers. You would have been the very presence of God in my life at that moment, the response to my pleading. But now imagine this, hoping, praying, pleading with the Lord to rescue me from my desperate situation. And lo and behold, 40 boats pull up. 50 boats pull up, and everyone yells at the same time, which boat do you want to ride on? <clears throat> That's what we get to be to this community. It's so simple. And if you're the person who feels like, you know what? I don't have a big boat. 
All I have is a canoe. You could be that help. Don't disqualify yourself. To those in the room, if you're, if you're still in school, if you're a teenager, you could be that help. You could let them choose you to provide the assistance that they need to thrive while maintaining their dignity. So I would invite all of you. You know, we do, at Church of the Rock, we do a lot of different opportunities to, to partner uh, in missions with Mission We had our missions conference a couple of months ago. It was great. And, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot, and you guys have all been a part of this conversation, um, is that we don't want to motivate people with guilt, right? We don't want to motivate people with guilt in order to step in and give. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I don't think the eight-year-old cares whether you are exactly rightly motivated or not. But if you would be willing just to step in and say yes, you could be uh, a gift, that beacon of hope in a hopeless situation to them. I'm going to read you really quickly. Psalms 86. This is David. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. And the invitation to us is exactly that, that we get the opportunity to be the answer to their prayers. Thank you, Aaron. So there's three easy steps pointing you. Uh, in your seat or next to it, we put cards all over the room. The first step will be for you to pull your cell phone out and you have permission to do it. Uh, and then text the number 56170, it's also on the screen. Now, if you're tuning in online, you couldn't be here in person, you can also participate. Just go ahead and text the word ROCK to the number on the screen, 56170. That's, that's the very first step. Um, then the next step, once you begin that process, is the most important step. We would love for you to gather your family, Go and get your kids, and then step into the foyer, and Chuck and several volunteers are there ready to help you. You will take, I'm telling you, the most epic picture you have ever taken in your life. And we will print those pictures, send them to the World Vision Honduras office, and then on Wednesday, they're going to display those pictures. So if you don't have a cell phone, no problem. The most important step is for you to make the line take that picture. And this is for everybody. Some people ask, well, can I do one child? Of course you can. Can I do two? Can I do three? Can we do more? Absolutely. <laughs> so they will explain to you if you'll take one picture for all of them or multiple pictures, but take that picture. And then the last step is we have created a private Facebook group page 
just for everybody who signs up today. We were going to be uploading their pictures there. We want to create a sense of community with this movement so that you don't feel that you are doing this by yourself, but you recognize there are dozens, if not hundreds, of children being a sponsor in Florida, Honduras. And throughout the week, there may be some surprises that pop in that private Facebook group. Sometimes we get surprises from the field showing us little things that are happening on Wednesday. So Church on the Rock, Homer, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention. Uh, it's truly an honor to speak in behalf of the millions of kids that we serve. We may not see them here in life, but one day we're going to have an incredible celebration. And you have the opportunity not only to financially invest in this community, but you have the opportunity to create a personal relationship with this child by writing letters, by encouraging them, by praying for them, by keeping in touch. They will have access to somebody who lives in the richest nation on earth. That's a beautiful thing to behold. So I'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much. Would you mind if we pray together and then? Yes, thank you. <laughs> In my excitement, I forgot almost the best part of the thing. So for all of you who sign up to be chosen today, next week, come. Because we're going to have a different setup with envelopes. And you will find who chose you. And then within a day or two, you will receive an email with a letter. Um, and the child will tell you the reason why he or she chose you. And let me tell you, those letters often are like God speaking himself through these little ones. We've seen incredible supernatural connections where God speaks into your situation through the mouth of a little child in Honduras. So thank you for reminding me, Aaron. Well, let me pray it, and then I'll dismiss you. Father, how incredible it is that your kingdom manifests across cultures, languages, cultures. That the same spirit raised Christ from the dead is moving all the world here in the beautiful frozen place like Homer. It is also moving lower in Central America right now in communities. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to tap into the beauty of your kingdom and to play a small part that has incredible eternal consequences. I pray. And may the people that relationship with a child enjoy the beauty of your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Have a great Sunday, and please get your families. Thank you for considering. Sending out to you.